0: utilizing technology and finding ways to use leverage and he's like leverage just isn't you know debt leverage is like relationships partnerships it's uh you know it's the ability to use tech and he talks about like the multiple that you can get
1: welcome to energy builders a podcast about the geologists engineers roughnecks entrepreneurs and many more that are building in oil and gas Hey guys, on this episode, our guest is Max Gagliardi of the Talk Energy podcast in ANCOVA. Max is a really cool guy. He was really encouraging to us when we were thinking about starting this podcast, and he's been prolific on social media, on uh, LinkedIn, on Twitter, through his podcast and talking about the oil and gas industry. But he's also kind of a jack of all trades. He's an entrepreneur at heart. He's building things. He's he's getting out there and doing things. We talk a bit about that. We talk about how he's kind of been building this media company through his podcast. We talk about how he's developing Mountain Fork Resort in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, as well as being a part in a distillery in Oklahoma City. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. We talk about a lot of random things. I think it was, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy listening to it as well. I want to go back and talk about your background, you know, in the corporate world, and then talk about, you know, the energy trading, the consulting you guys do, what ANCOA does. But uh, let's start maybe like on the podcast stuff. I mean, starting like at the end, like, and and maybe you tie in how you arrived here, you know, through all those experiences. But what, like, what was the moment where you're like, I have I need this talk energy
0: podcast. I've got to, like, what was the aha moment? It was like, this has to happen. So like the first thing was my brother, who's about six years, five years younger than me, five and a half years. He had had a podcast. He's still doing it. It's a fire protection, and life safety, uh fire uh, podcast that he does. And he was, you know, he's younger in his career than me at the time he was working for a big company and he just felt like I need a way to network. He's a big podcast. He loves listening to him. So he's always just like sending me episodes of different podcasts. And I think it's like a generational thing for him because when I was, you know, in my mid twenties or early twenties, I would have just killed to be a fly on the wall for conversations of, you know, people in my industry is like, I, you know, you're in that time in your career when you're just wanting to soak up as much information as you can. And maybe you're like in an entry level type of position. And so, you know, having a podcast is just such a huge resource for people to for you to absorb information. And then for him, I think he just saw the benefits of and this was like, very wise for someone uh, that was his age was he was just like the forced networking aspect of it, like, forcing yourself to go, And to every week, figure out somebody new to reach out to, try to set up a time to talk to them. And, you know, if you're older in your career and you're more established, I think you take the networking for granted because you've had a decade or decades of time to meet people. But when, you know, where he was at, I think that he just was like, this is a way for me to make connections. And so he'd been doing it for about a year And all the while he was like, man, you should do one of these. He's like, you already have a company, you know, you guys have these companies and you already are, you know, well networked. And so you've got like all these connections and you could probably get really cool guests. And I was just, I just didn't have any social media. And so it wasn't just the podcast. I really wasn't on social media at all. I think I had like a, you know, a Twitter that was private, that was old and I had it from college and it was like, I followed a couple of my fraternity brothers and some high school friends, and we'd I'd, like retweet sports stuff. I mean, I, I wasn't right. active on it at all. I mean, I'd follow like you know my favorite sports teams and whatever, and um, that's all I really had. And then I had like an old Facebook that was deactivated that I didn't use. Um, I didn't have an Instagram. Had a LinkedIn with maybe like I don't know six or seven hundred connections on it that I had you know had since two thousand nine, but at one point someone made fun of me because I still had like my wedding picture. It's like my <laughs> profile. And they were like, dude, that picture's like, you know, six years old or something. And I, uh, and it, you're like in a tux or whatever, like a suit for my wedding. And so I got self-conscious because someone made fun of me and I deleted the profile picture. So for a couple of years, like didn't even have a profile picture, never posted on LinkedIn. Um, you know, just didn't, wasn't active in social media. And, and, and beyond that, I was actually pretty cynical about it. You know, I just, mm. Thought it was kind of a waste of time. Didn't see the value in it and um, was short-sighted in a big way. And so my brother, you know, talking to me about the podcast and telling me you should do this. And then that was, and then COVID hit and with COVID and I'm like, our company is like a service company. And so, you know, going to events, going to dinners with people or going to conferences, uh, going to meetings at people's office, like that's a really critical Piece to what we do because that's how you get in front of people and make relationships and connect. And people want to do business with people that they know and that they trust and that they have a relationship with. And really saw that break down. I mean, it wasn't that I couldn't even go to conferences. It was like you couldn't even go to the, you know, we weren't going to the office for a while. It was just the world kind of stopped. And so that had me doing a lot of soul searching around just a lot of different things. I think everybody, right? Like during that time, it was kind of like, what is, what does this all mean? I'm sitting at my house every day and uh, trying to find uh, meaning and a path forward, not just in business, but in life. And it was a weird, it was a weird time. And so during that, I uh, did a lot of soul searching and was listening to a lot of podcasts myself. And really one of the guys that I got into was Naval Ravikant. I think that's his last name. I don't know if you listen to Naval's like how to get rich, which is a,
1: that tweet storm click, that went viral. A, yeah, the
0: tweet storm. And he admits that it's kind of clickbaity. Like, don't be turned off by the name, how to get rich. If people listen to this, it's a, it's an amazing tweet storm. And then it's an even better podcast series. And it's like one episode that's like three and a half hours long. And he puts everything out there. And I can't remember if it was my brother or somebody that showed me that, but I came across that. And um, listened to it. And he talks a lot in there about utilizing technology and finding ways to use leverage and he's like leverage just isn't you know debt leverage is like relationships partnerships it's uh you know it's the ability to use tech and he talks about like the multiple that you can get and yeah, yeah. and he talks and really, about
1: like leverage that can be it can be like you said like financial like debt or or investors or it could be labor with employees yeah. or whatnot but those things have limits
0: right and then the right. technology side is limitless almost absolutely. And so that really got me thinking and I was like man that's really powerful and then I started looking at our businesses and I was like we're not using as much tech as we could and we're certainly not using media tech and and but I knew intuitively that like if I got in front of people whether that be like I said at a conference or some event that I didn't know what would come from it like I wasn't like oh I'm going to get some deal because I went to this dinner whatever you know or I'm going to like We're going to sign a client because I went to Nape, right? Like that, I knew that that wasn't, it wasn't a direct line, but a lot of times business development and networking are these like zigzag lines, right? It's like, you met a guy, you talked, you had fun and you had drinks or whatever, went to dinner. And then six months later, someone calls you randomly and it was like, it's that guy's friend. And he's like, oh, I was talking to my buddy, you know, John, and he told me about what you guys do. And like, we could really use your help. And you're like, it kind of clicks. You're like, oh man, that's crazy. Like that relationship that I made. And now that's turned into this business opportunity. So I knew, like, intuitively, that the power of connectivity and like creating those relationships could uh, lead to future business. And um, so that was kind of the thing with the podcast. It was like, well, I don't know. And a lot of people ask you, like, what are you trying to get out of this? You know, like, are you trying to get, like, are you trying to make money? Are you trying to monetize? Are you trying to, you know, whatever? And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen from it, but I know that there's power in connectivity and meeting people and having people uh, know you and what you do. And so then there was a couple other guys that I'll give shout outs like, um, like DRW and, uh, David Robinson wood and the digital wildcatter guys like Colin and Jake. Yeah. I've been watching from afar, um, like many other people with their media stuff that they were doing. And I think that there was something that I felt was powerful because like, I felt like I knew those guys, even though I didn't know them, you know, and same, same thing with like um, other people's podcasts, you know, you listen to like Naval or somebody. I'm like, I feel like I know that guy. Like if I sat down with them, it would be a very familiar feeling because I've listened to him talk so much. And so I, there was something there and I kind of put my finger on it. I was like, man, there's something powerful about this. It's like, I feel like I know these people. I feel like, you know, I understand them and I've never met them. And so that was something that was big. And then the other thing I saw was like, at the time, this is a story. I don't know if I've talked about this on a podcast. I've definitely told the story. Um, in real life. But basically, we were working on a deal and it's been years ago. And I think it's fine to talk about it. But we had had some business we were trying to do with Oxy. And um, and it never ended up happening. So that's why I think it's fine to talk about. But we were working on a deal without getting into the details. And there was like a, a high level person over there, like a VP that I was we'd been talking with. And he was super busy, high profile. And it was like, you know, kept being like, stop and go it's like hey we're t- talking about this deal and then he'd get busy and wouldn't return our phone calls or emails and it's fine you know, he's got a million things going on i'm not trying to blame him i'm just saying that we were really trying to get this thing done and i remember seeing drw doing some of his like funny antics on linkedin and i'm like this guy is like this is crazy like you know he's just doing all this like you know over the top stuff and being confused whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. I'm like, is this like good that he does this stuff and posts all these things? And then like, I remember a week or two later, he was sitting down and interviewing the CEO of Oxy and she was like, oh, I love your content. And they were like all friendly, like on this interview. And I'm just like, I can't even get the guy over there that we're trying to work with to call me back. And this guy's sitting here talking to the CEO of this public company. And there was just something there that was nagging at me. I was like, this is powerful. I was like, what he's doing is powerful. I was like, the connectivity that he's making is powerful. And then another good example is like digital wildcatter guys. Like I remember seeing Colin like posting stuff on LinkedIn all the time. And he's like, you know, challenging people to fight in like an MMA. He's like, come to our office. We have an octagon. You're a big guy on LinkedIn. Like just saying all this ridiculous (laughs) stuff and getting like huge engagement, huge engagement on LinkedIn. And I remember having that same feeling. I'm like, is this a smart move like to putting yourself out there and being so candid and being so like your own raw personality? Cause a lot of people like, especially on LinkedIn and some of these platforms they are so like corporate and just like, they don't really post anything personal. Mm. It's like, this is this like crafted view of themselves. And then I remember, you know, like a few weeks after that or something or months later, I can't remember how long it was. He's like sitting on a private jet with like Toby Rice, you know? And so I'm like, like there's something here, right? It's like, these guys are making these connections and they're putting themselves out there and they're being authentic. And they're creating content and when they're, they're giving to the world and then they're getting back all this networking and relationships. And so basically it's just like, I'm going to do this. And if you talk to anybody that knows me, it's like, if I'm committing to something, I usually go pretty hard. Like I'm usually like 110% type of person, get very tunnel visioned. And I think that that can be a positive. It's one of my great strengths and it can also be a negative sometimes too, but I just decided I'm going to do this. So I like started a Twitter had zero followers and didn't know anything about how this stuff worked. Didn't know about how social media worked. Didn't know about how, um, gaining a follower base. Didn't really know how to make a podcast. I did have some experience doing, uh, doing media from when I was younger, I played music. And so I had some recording Mm -hmm. experience, like recording audio and playing. What do you play? Play guitar. And, uh, back then. And I, tool around with different instruments. I play a little drums and some other stuff. Now I don't really play oh, that cool. much anymore now that I'm older. Um, I did not know that about it. you
1: at all. That's yeah. cool.
0: I was in, I was in the music stuff for a long time and had different bands and, and played and recorded yeah. and, and, um, so I had some like audiovisual, uh, you know, skills. I didn't have really the camera stuff or the the visual side, but I figured that out. Um, you know, YouTube's YouTube. helpful. you can learn yeah. like anything right now. So so basically just launched it and uh was like Oh, I'm going to do every every other week and then that became then you start to look around and you're like that's not going to work like I need to do every week and then I was like well I'll do twice a week and so there for a while I was doing like twice a week episodes and um really just grinded on it and it's been like 2 years now and there's been a ton of awesome benefits that have come from it I've gone back to once a week just cuz the grind was too hard and I've been trying to do other things like newsletter and uh and more like video clips and more, um, you know, some of the real estate stuff we do. I like to do the video uh, stuff for that as well and Instagram and things like that. So long went away of saying, I just hadn't been utilizing that at all and saw the power of it and then decided that um, this would be something to do. And then the other thing is that just seeing the benefits from it, it's like you get really caught up on, oh, my, my thing didn't get a million views, but like, it doesn't matter. It's like, if you're reaching the right people, and you're right. You know, right. You know, you're getting in front of the right, you know, people, and that's huge. And then the other thing is, like, when else would I, if I record a podcast episode and it gets a thousand listens, it's like, when else would I get to, you know, number one, interview that person who has probably got a ton of knowledge and who's, you know, I'm making a connection with. Right. And then number two, it's like, when would I get to, you know, be in front of a thousand people and talk? And the answer is like never, like unless you're like pay to play with heart energy or somebody where they're like, sponsor this conference for 15 right. grand and we'll let you yeah. have a speaking engagement. Cause like you figure out that's what all that is, right? Like,
1: and then how years. far does that go?
0: Like it's going to the yeah. room, right? But does it yeah, leave the going- room? Exactly, Until so you're like, yeah, this content's evergreen, right? So like we'll record yeah. this conversation in forever if you have it posted somewhere, people can go back and listen to it and that's massive. And um, so, I, you know what I, that's another thing that hit me is like, for years there was like the heart Doug conference mid-continent one, because we do a lot of Oklahoma work. And I remember being like in 2016, 17, 18, we had a bunch of clients that were running rigs and I like hit up heart and I was like, Hey, look, you know, our clients are running like 20 something rigs and we're doing all the commercial and midstream stuff for them. You know, if you looked at that in a vacuum and said, that's one entity, we would have been like the third or fourth largest, you know, active person out there. I was like, we have a ton of experience in Oklahoma would love to be a part of the conference. I'd love to you know, be on a panel or do something. And this was like 2016 or 17 or something like that. This was five years ago. Um, and the guy was like, that's awesome. He's like, you know, pay me 20 grand or whatever it was. Maybe it was 15 or something. It was like, right. yeah, sponsor this like gold tier thing. And we'll see if we can get you like on a panel or something. And I'm like, okay, so now I get it. Like, it doesn't really matter. You know, you're just people are paying basically to get to these things. And to your point, you're basically just talking in front of a room full of people who half of them are there to skip work and they're on their phone the whole time. So it's like,
1: and and going back to
0: Naval, like he talks about that, right? Like,
1: like media, like all of this now with technology, like you're talking about a lot of it's permissionless. Like you can go on YouTube and learn how to get the lights and cameras and set them up. And you don't have to like pay that fee or like go work at a news corporation or a media company to, you know, be able to get that leverage over media. Like, we have that. So, like, this is great, dude. I feel like we could jam on this for like hours, probably. Like, It's a, fun. It's like, fun. But, I like it. But, like, thinking about what's the negative, like, before we leave this topic, like, what's the negative side of like, you know, you mentioned like you feel like you know Naval or you know, like, Colin and, and Jake before you met him. But, like, now that you're out here and you've been doing this for two years and you've had this reach, like, I know there's like, uh, uh, you know, we connected at like a Bitcoin meetup, right? In the city. Yeah. But then like, you know, uh, run into each other somewhere, airport or locally or at a conference. Like, I'm sure there's other people out there that are going, hey, there's Max. I've seen him on YouTube or Twitter, but you haven't met them. You haven't seen them. So what if, What's are there downsides to it? Or is it just, if there are yeah. any, what are they?
0: I think The downside to it is that, for like Twitter or there's different downsides, but one of the biggest downside that I am jaded with is the way that you get engagement. A lot of times is through like this kind of outrage culture thing, you know? So it's like, if you want to get a following on Twitter, you have to have like hot takes. And so you see, you don't have to, I mean, there are people that have educational content and they like a Doomberg is a great example. Like, yes, sometimes he'll get mad at like Justin Trudeau or somebody and like, you know, go off on a politician, but for the most part, his content's like pretty educational. And I would say that that's an outlier because most of the accounts that have lots of followers are, you know, engagement farming and engagement farming. There's different things you can do. You can have like, you know, funny memes or something you can have, you know, whatever tweets that, uh, are educational. And maybe that gets some views, but it's like, I would notice that if I did like a tweet thread on, uh, Whatever natural gas prices or storage, like yeah, that might get like a hundred likes or something. I'm like, oh, they're pretty good. Like you know, and there's some like people that really care about energy and natural gas that would give me a follow. You pick up five follows or whatever. Um, or then you would do a tweet thread about why renewables suck and like solar's a scam and you know uh, they're using slave labor or whatever, and it would get like five thousand likes and you would gain you know a thousand followers and you're like, okay um i see where the incentives are and uh and so like it you almost start to become like a caricature of yourself on these platforms mm-hmm. right because like you have to it's not really you it's like this yes, the incentives person. don't line up is what you're yeah, saying? yeah they don't line like, up it's like i yeah. don't want to be an outrage you know person all the time but like if i want to gain followers then i have to like if i if i don't like you know shit post about whatever, like wind farms, killing birds or something like then I'm not going to get like, you know, a bunch of followers. And so the times when I get really jaded or when I'm like, okay, how much is enough? Like, you've got whatever I'm at on Twitter, like 15,000 followers or something. And it's like, if I want to get to 100,000, then you better start pissing people off. Because that's like the only way that you're going to get people to engage and to follow you. And let's face it, that platform has incredible reach and it is really powerful, but it's also a platform that it has a lot of like just nasty vile, just, I mean, it's political. It's got like, you know, there's just so much of the, what gets engagement is the stuff that's that's kind of in that divisive, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, it's a very divisive platform. And so that is one negative is that that can turn people off. Right. Cause you know, not everybody is going to love that hot take. Um, I've had things that I've posted that I didn't think were a hot take at all. Like one time I posted something because I was on vacation. This was like a couple months ago and there was a guy that was with me and he was like working the whole time and, uh, was with like a big public company and it's like, oh, we got this thing going on and like, wasn't with his kids, wasn't with his wife, like was working the whole time. And I'm guilty of working all the time too. Like I, I have struggled with work-life balance. And I remember I posted something I was like, if you doesn't matter how much money you've made, if you're working all the time on nights and weekends and you're still poor. And it was more just kind of cheeky. Like, I didn't mean you're actually poor. But, dude, the amount of like people were just like, like, I mean, I got like threats of violence against me. There was like some field guy that was like, if I see you, he's like in real life, he's like, I'm going to beat you. You know, he's like this field guy basically being like, you've disrespected our whole industry. And I'm like, dude, I wasn't even talking about people that have to work at nights and weekends. I was like literally just referencing someone who is very successful, who has money. But that is always like working all the time, and how I just right. was like, and that's it was more of a reflection on me. It's like if I, I feel poor, it's like I don't care if you have a lot of money. If you have, if you don't have your time, then how rich can you really be? Was more of like the point, but the nuance gets lost. It's like that tweet that went viral. Some guy was like, "Man, Twitter's the craziest place." He's like, "You can post like, I love waffles," and the first comment is is like, "I can't believe this guy hates pancakes." You know what I mean? And it's <laughs> like, it's like that's not like, what I said. Yeah. You know, and that got like a hundred thousand <laughs> likes or something. And so it's like. Um, so yeah, yeah, it can be divisive and those types of things. Uh, and so that, that's where I struggle. There's a really good book, um, by Ryan Holiday called Trust Me, I'm Lying. And Ryan Holiday is a guy that was a media professional, uh, has a really cool story. I won't give you the whole backstory, but the book Trust Me, I'm Lying is about how he figured out the formula on marketing. And he talks about all the deception and all the just things that they would do. I mean, they would like make fake outrage campaigns. Like he was helping a guy promote a book and he would put up like billboards saying like, this guy is all these nasty things like this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. But actually the guy himself paid for the billboards. And then he would send those billboard screenshots to these random news outlets and be like, there's a whole underground campaign to cancel this guy. Right. So then like CNN picks it up and all these people pick it up. Well, the guy sells 3 million copies of his book. No one was really trying to cancel him. It was him just posting the nasty stuff. So he's like basically tricked people into the outrage machine. And then all these people started talking about how much they hated this guy, which then the people that didn't hate him, he sold 3 million copies of his book. So at the end of the book, though, he basically says that he's like, I don't want to be this. You know, he's like, I... And he's like I figured it out, and he's like I'm a master at it, and he's like, and I hate myself when I'm when I'm doing this stuff. He's like I don't, you know, he's like I know the game, and I'm good at the game, I'm one of the best, and he's like, and I don't want to be that, you know, and so like mm. he kind of transforms into uh, more of this self help guy now. Like all of his books now are like about stoicism and business and self help, and he. But I think that's what led him to that. So there are times when I'm like, you know, how much do the followers matter, and how much is like what I'm putting out something that. I care about and that is what I'm passionate about. And I oftentimes find that I'm not putting the stuff out that I'm passionate about because it won't get the engagement and I'm putting out stuff Mm. that I just know will get clicks and likes. And that's probably one of the bigger downsides I would say to doing it is just understanding the incentives. And do uh, you find that
1: like talking about being authentic, like do you find yourself, you know, a lot of people talk about like especially going viral on Twitter and thinking about media and social media, like, um, you know, staying narrow, staying in your niche, like, do you, do you find that like that rubs together, like trying to be authentic? I know you're running multiple businesses, you know, you've got the real estate, you've got Incova, you've got, um, um, uh, the, uh, the, the distillery, right. You guys have a, yeah. a new distillery, right. And what, what, is there a rub there? Like, you know, you're supposed to be, you're yeah. supposed to be the natural gas guy or yeah. whatever, or the talk 100%. energy guy, not these other things. Does that, do you see any? Of that, sure. like where people are like, just want to shoehorn you into the one thing and not let you be like, a, you know, 100%, live your whole well-rounded yeah. life and and see the, pick, you know, all sides of it.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And I've tweeted about this before. Like I have wanted to change the name of the podcast to something more broad, just so I could like talk about whatever I want. I have a lot of interests outside of, uh, of energy. And the other thing too, is that like energy is in natural gas and midstream and all the oil and gas stuff that I do is fun. It's my passion. I enjoy it. But it's not like, it's not as cool as like taking a drone shot of an awesome river or like fly fishing or like a distillery or whatever. So there's like other things that like I like to do that are business, but that are also fun in the terms of like, it's just, it's like, let's face it. Scratching like a creative
1: itch. Like Yeah,
0: it's a create, exactly. It's that creative itch and like a pipeline's underground, you know, like as much as I want to make a hype video for a midstream thing, like the asset's buried in the ground. i right. sure I can go see like a processing plant or something. And I need to do more of that content. I've been actually working with some people to try to get some field visits set up where I can make some more like, uh, oil and gas content out in the field. But it does it like, you know, to have the longevity, I think like eventually, like I will change the name to the podcast. If I, once I think of a good name and make it more broad and continue to do probably 50% or more energy content, but dude, there's only so many conversations I can have about energy. And this is like against everybody's advice. Like I've talked to like big podcasters that are have you know millions of views a month that are friends of mine. I've talked to, I've done Twitter polls on this. I've talked to like lots of different people, and everyone's like, "Riches in the niches, like you need to right, be like yeah. you're the energy guy, like focus on energy, that's your thing. Like as soon as you go broad, now you're competing with Joe Rogan, and like you're never going to be that guy. So like just be the energy guy because that's like your niche and whatever. And uh, and they're probably right, but the reality is is that if I just do energy, I'm two years in 156 episodes or something. Um, I can only have a conversation about nat gas or coal or nuclear plants or hydro or geothermal or batteries or, you know, pick, I mean, energy is massive. There's so much you can do, but at the end of the day, like there's a longevity aspect to this. And there's like a, And I mean, it is an absolute grind, man. I mean, I have to, every single week, like this week I don't have an episode ready. I have an interview tomorrow and I'm like, usually I try to have two or three in the hopper, but Uh I just had people cancel on me. You know how it is. Like I missed the one yesterday we were supposed to do. I got the time wrong and didn't have it on my calendar. And so I missed it and we had to reschedule it today. Like that stuff happens all the time. Like I had two this week and one last week where they're like, hey, can we do like first week of January? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But now it's like, now I don't have an episode, you know? So to not go a single week of missing an episode in two years and then also have for about 18 months of that stretch, I was doing two a week. Um, it's a lot, you know, Uh, like, and, and I, it's a hobby more than anything. I'm like, I'm not really making money on, uh, on the thing, on the media stuff. I'm spending money on it, but there's a lot of benefits that come with it too. So I think for me, that is a negative, like, I just have to find a way to stay in it long-term because I think that, all this stuff is a compound interest thing, right? It's like, right. it'd be like, if you stop investing in your 401k at 35, it's like, it's not going to be nearly the amount of money that it would be when you're 60, if you keep investing. And so this stuff just builds over time. And I feel like I have to keep it fresh. And so that's where that comes from. And then we do do a lot of other things that I want to promote. And I enjoy those conversations. It's like, the other day, I found uh, a buddy of mine was like, Hey, did you know this? Like, professional athlete. I won't uh, say who it is in him, but they were, they live in this neighborhood in Edmond. He's like, Oh yeah, I ran into him at this thing. And he's got this new thing he's wanting to promote. Like you should have him on the podcast. I'm like, Oh, that would be cool. Like I, you know, I followed that guy and, and I'm thinking like, how do I turn this into like an energy thing? Like, it would be weird to ask him on, you know? And it's like, well, if it was just a broad Podcast, I could be like, hey man, come on the podcast. Like, you want to promote your local business thing that you're starting? Like, let's talk about this. And it's just another way to connect with more people. So, right. Yeah. So that's where I think long term it'll go. Um, because it's yeah, so you're, mulling to, on it's that. you're just, chewing yeah, on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's where if I had a good name, I would probably uh, just change it. But it's hard to find uh, names yeah. are all taken. It feels like for <laughs> the podcast. <guests. laughs>
1: right, right. I hear you. Well, we've got to talk a little bit about uh, about energy pricing for sure and what's going on in the markets. Um, maybe maybe you could speak to. I mean, you were at Chesapeake Energy, right? And then at American Energy Partners and, and Williams. And then uh, when did you guys launch Ancova? When did that happen?
0: It was like the fall of 14 or really like the summer of 14. I started doing some consulting like July, August, and I'd left American Energy Partners or got let go. Actually, there's a whole story there, but, and I've told it before, I think on air, but basically went over there. It kind of all fell apart. Was it, so just real quick background. Was it, went to Oklahoma State, um, had worked at Williams in their midstream group as an intern and did some BD stuff with them and then got a job at Chesapeake out of school and it was like a dream job. I got to do tons of awesome stuff. And they were the most active driller in the US. Second largest producer of natural gas. Our marketing group was like top five marker in the US. So we we're moving a ton of product. And got to drink from a fire hose for um, a few years. And then Aubrey left and the culture changed. And I hung out with the new management and did some stuff and got to see some really interesting stuff on that corporate change. And then followed Aubrey over to AEP. And it was like this uh just really cool opportunity you got tons of experience there too but it was like the whole thing was kind of falling apart and it was like a lot of drama that it's a long story but um but basically left there and started just was like oh i'm going to go join you know like another company right so I applied for some jobs and um sat down with my dad like 2 weeks after i left aep he's like what are you, what are you doing And I was like, oh, you know, I applied for these two dozen jobs and I, you know, played golf with my buddies and he's like, this is not enough. He's like, you need a plan. He's like, you should just like uh, start an LLC, say you're doing consulting. And I was like, isn't that just like what people do that like don't have a job? And he's like, doesn't matter what you think, what people think about you. He's like, you need to stay active. He's like, you need to get out there in front of people. He's like, change your pitch from I can come and work for you to here's how I can make you money, right? Like you don't have to hire me as an employee, but. Here's the thing I here's the skill set that I have, and here's what we can do to create value for you. And so kind of- and your dad has a background
1: in in, the, in oil and yeah, gas. Yeah, he's, he's a geologist. geologist. He's yeah. a geologist.
0: And he was at Chesapeake still at that time. He had worked there too. Um, and so he was like, you should do this. And I was like, all right. So got business cards made, uh, created a website. And it wasn't in COVID at first. The company was called, I had an LLC called Anchorage. And it was like, long well, story, my wife helped me come up with the name, but basically- was doing some consulting with that for about a month and had found some private equity teams that didn't have what I could do on their team. And I knew the guys that were running it and they're like, Oh yeah, that's great. We actually have a ton of work that we need done on this. Like, why don't you just do this, uh, do that work for us? And so realized then that, um, like the power of consulting and it was like, I got really lucky. Cause like the guys I was working for, like I had no idea what to charge. Like I was like going to charge hourly and they were like, what do you want to make? And I told them some number and they were like, that's too low. They're like, you need to charge this more. So like I didn't have any clue like what to, I was just like, okay, thanks, man. Yeah. And they're like, no, yeah. seriously, like charge this. And I was like, all right. So um, got some work there. And then what I realized was that, man, this is powerful. I was like, I could work two weeks or a week and make what you could make in a month working at a big company because when you're a consultant, you can charge more because they don't have to pay you benefits and they don't have to pay you you know, bonuses and equity and all this stuff. And so... Um, started to see that there was some power there. And then my old boss from Chesapeake, Mark edge, who eventually will come on the podcast. I keep bugging him for two years. It sounds like he's going to do it. Um, he recently, he was like, when are you going to set up that studio at the office? And so I recently started working on it. Still work in progress, but I'm up here now. But, uh, him and I got together and he had just left Chesapeake and I was like, Hey, I'm doing some consulting. And he's like, well, I've got some consulting that I'm doing. And I was like, well, let's work together because you know, you're out here trying to pitch people on stuff and they're like, so who do you, you know, they want to see like a company, not like a single, yeah, who's on the team. Right. And so it was kind of like, all right, let's work together. And we were building separate for like a month. And then like, we had a couple of leads that were really big leads. And so we're like, let's just incorporate, uh, came up with the name Ankova. It wasn't taken and the website was available and we liked (laughs) the name. Um, and then we started doing that and it was really just like helping guys make more money for their product. Like, so you know, negotiating a midstream agreement or helping organize the existing agreements, because some guys had like a hundred contracts that they would inherited through an acquisition and it was like helping sift through all those and renegotiate or you know do these different things or helping them uh coordinate their well connects or sell their product, bit out the oil, bit out the gas, um doing joint ventures like some of the stuff early on those guys had such big drilling programs that they wanted to own a part of the infrastructure. They're like, if I gotta back this whole thing, like I want to own a piece of it. So got lucky to do some really cool deals where we put together some big uh, joint venture partnerships and it just kind of snowballed. And like the market sucked at the time because oil had gone from like $85 when we started to like 30 bucks six months from then. And we were like, oh man, this is crazy. Uh, But we, there was so much private equity money and that was a lot of our clients. So there's all these Mm -hmm. like startup teams that were getting funded. And so it went from like, three clients to six clients to like, we got to hire people because we can't handle anymore. And so we brought on a couple people that we had worked with that were uh, available and we brought them in as contractors and then eventually made them full-time employees. And then in 2016, uh, started actually physically buying natural gas and then reselling it. And our model there was that we would be more of a broker. And we saw like a real disconnect around a lot of the natural gas marketers that were kind of in the smaller size, they were doing the arbitrage game, where they're basically you know, they're traders, so they're like making bets. It's like, okay, I can pay you three bucks, but I'm really getting three twenty or three ten or whatever, and so they're making like a spread on your product. And we're like, that's fine. We need market makers. You guys are taking risk. You're getting compensated for the risk. You're taking out transport. You're doing things that are healthy for the market. The part that we saw that wasn't healthy was that these guys trade in information. So it'd be like using a uh, title attorney that has a mineral brokerage, right? It's like, you would never do that. So then why are you using a consultant for your marketing that has a marketing shop that trades, right? So they're like, hey, give me your drill schedule. Give me your volume forecast. Show me where all your production's gonna be. And then they're just turning around and handing it to their traders and they're making a bunch of bets where they're locking in margin because they know you've got a rig running or rigs coming up and that you're going to bring on 50 million a day so they can go take out that 50 million a day of transport and now they're going to make a spread on you and they're saying that basically there's just not alignment in that model right and so our stance was like you either need to be a consultant who doesn't take price risk and who actually you know bids out the product and helps people transact and get the best price or you need to be a pure play marketer that doesn't that just buys product and so the model we Came up with was like, well, we'll just do all fixed pricing. Like, we don't trade, we don't take any price risk. Like, whatever price we get, you get. Uh, We bid it out to like, we have dozens of markets in every play, every basin. Um, And we keep those guys honest. So it's like, instead of just, you know, talk to a lot of people and they're like, well, I've been selling my oil to planes. It's like, well, how long? Well, 15 years. It's like, well, when's the last time you bid it out? They're like, well, I don't know. I just sell it to planes because my field guys like them and whatever. And it's like, well, you should be actively bidding that out. And so just keeping the purchasers honest and, making sure that there's alignment between us and our clients. And I think that went a long way with people. Um, And so that business was in 2016. And then that grew. And we started hiring more people. In 18, we uh, raised some money to do midstream stuff. Like we we saw a lot of our clients were like, hey, we want to build our own midstream. And we would love for you guys to just like partner with us and operate it. And would you guys want to take an equity position? And we're like, well, we would. But we don't have any equity raise. And so we didn't really go out and actively like try to raise equity. We talked to a few groups and they were kind of like, we would love to back you guys, but you need to divest your other companies. And we we're like, we're not going to do that because um, we have all these clients. And so uh, one group came to us, Pinebrook, and they were like, no, actually keep your other companies. We love that. We love the networking. We love the relationships you've made. But if you come across like a, a partnership opportunity, like we can fund that. And so got a commitment from them. And then we built one gathering system in 2019. It was a small, it was 18 and 19. It was a small dry gas system in Oklahoma could have been big. It was like a, it could have been like a 50, $60 million project, but, um, went out and spent a couple million bucks, laid the first lines and then gas prices tanked. And we had like a option to sell out of that deal. So we sold out of it back to our partner and then went into 2020 really optimistic on, uh, new opportunities. We were looking in the Permian. We were talking to a lot of guys, like in the Permian, we found that there were a lot of guys that were committed to deliver volume to like a processor or a downstream, but they had to spend the capital. So it was like, they had this drilling program going on and it's like, Hey, I'm committed to DCP, but they were going to have to spend a hundred million bucks on compression and pipe and all this stuff just to get it to DCP. And they're like, we don't want to do that. We could drill 10 extra wells. And so opportunities like that, where it was like, We really were just, we were looking at either acquisitions or we were looking at um, partnering with guys that we could just help them defer CapEx and we could build an asset. So COVID hit and we're like, man, they're going to pull the plug on this whole deal. And surprisingly, they were like, no, we love what you guys are doing. We'll give you another year of runway. And they were like, well, we want you to look at the energy transition. And we're like, okay. Uh, Gosh. So uh, spent a lot of time on carbon capture, spent a lot of time on like electric compression and like other stuff like treating mud and like just a bunch of different things with like a, a green uh, slant to them mm-hmm. and ultimately had a couple of deals that we really liked and they never ended up uh, pulling the trigger on it. And so we kind of spun that entity down. And that's also the same time that I got into the Bitcoin stuff because I was like, what works right now? Like, what can we build? And there wasn't a lot that you could build in 2020 that worked because people weren't drilling. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what infrastructure can we invest into? that makes money. And that we came across Bitcoin mining and we're like, this is really interesting. And it was very interesting because people were getting at the time, like 35, 40 bucks in MMBTU. And we're like, that's insane. This can't be mm-hmm. real. So, um, that led me down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It's probably a whole nother conversation, but, uh, then I, you know, so I really learned the mining side of it. And then I, uh, I'm kind of a small government guy anyways. Uh, you know, I have like a libertarian bent to my politics. So, here, here. Uh, I just, I, uh, you know, identify yeah. with a lot of the stuff in Bitcoin anyways. And that's why I continue to be uh, very much a fan of Bitcoin and supporter and want to do more mining in the future. We've done some, we spooled up a mine in Oklahoma, bought some wells and, uh, invested in that. And, uh, that was in COVID digital. And then to round off the other stuff, we've done some real estate stuff. It's mostly short-term rentals in vacation markets, primarily Bo- broken bow. We also had some single family homes that we've since divested of because they're a pain in the ass um and then like uh the distillery is like a passive investment like i'm not operating that people are like how do you do all this stuff i'm like well i do it because i'm just investing in it and then Mm -hmm. i have other people managing it and i'm just promoting it because it's fun i mean the distillery is like a fun one uh that's pretty much all the stuff that we've done and today we've got like 15 employees uh maybe a little more if you include the partners like mark and i and a couple contractors but um yeah, man, it's, we've kept, we've stayed alive and we had a good year this year. It's always like, I can never tell what's going to happen because the oil and gas industry is so crazy, but, uh, we've been fortunate and, um, and I think we add value for our clients. And so we're just, uh, trying to stay in the game, man. There's been a lot of people dropping out of the game the last eight years. And so the thing about the oil and gas industry is if you can just hang in there and hang around the rim, there's always opportunities, you know?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's what the, the industry is, is crazy. I mean, uh, Gosh, my family's been in it for decades and decades, but you're exactly right. Like, and that's what's, I think, kind of frustrating when you see like the public perception and like conversations on Twitter. Like, energy is foundational to like our our culture, our civilization, the entire world. And, yeah. you know, it there's a big disconnect there. Um, that um, and so I think it's cool. I mean, like you're talking about these network effects of doing these different things of through the podcast and through your social media, I think it's great to actually have someone who's an operator, who's running multiple businesses, who's worked um, in the industry for like yourself for years and years, talking about those things and getting that out there so that we can have hopefully more um, not divisive conversations, but ones that maybe while that you, maybe while people don't end up like agreeing, you know, with your side or, probably similar side. I'm probably going to take a very similar viewpoint to you on energy and stuff, but at least the conversations are being had and hopefully in a, a productive way. Um, so yeah. kudos on that. And yeah, I think we could definitely, um, <laughs> on the Bitcoin mining, we could do a whole show just on that, just talking about pluses and minuses of that and the challenges and learning about that. But I think we've covered a lot in this. I, I, in a, a serious, Seriously, Max, I think we could, riff on some of these ideas, uh, for a long time. And so we should definitely do another one of these. Um, uh, and you've been helpful for me, like thinking about as we've
0: spun this podcast up. Um, well, tell me more about the pot. I mean, uh, tell me more about what you guys have been doing, how many episodes, what's all the themes I haven't really, I've like looked at it a little bit. Cause when you asked me to be on, but Dude, yeah. I can barely even listen to my own episodes. I don't even get through them usually. <laughs> I hear uh, you. I hear so, you. So, but tell me about more of what you guys are trying to do. If you need to leave, that's fine. But um, I got time here. If you want to, uh, just yeah, go yeah. a little longer on your stuff. I'd love to just hear about what all you guys are doing and um, what you're trying to accomplish with it.
1: Yeah, I think we saw a lot of the same things. You, were, I'm a big podcast fan, um, and was just realizing that the kind of networking effect you were talking about. We're a small you know, family owned operator. Um, it's, it's, you know, like we've got multiple contractors working in the field. Um, we, we drill, uh, we do do exploration, drilling, completion, all of that and operate the wells. Um, but then everyone in the office is an oxen, you know, so we're a small family team. Um, and we've just, again, like you said, like we've, we've hung around the rim. <laughs> we picked yeah. up, we picked up our own rebounds and made some shots here and there and, and stayed in the game. And like you said, 2020 was tough. No one was doing anything and it was just stay alive. And, um, luckily I mean, at the end of that year, we, we started, uh, we started a drilling project and, uh, Russ, my father likes to joke, uh, that, uh, you know, we brought, we brought on an H and P rig out of the weeds and, uh, in in November of 2020, and we increased the rig count in Oklahoma by 10%. (laughs) Yeah. Cause there were only, there were only nine, nine rigs running in the state at that time. So, um, but with the podcast, we just thought, you know, who's out there talking about oil and gas from a small family business perspective, you know, there's, you can think of, um, you know, podcasts where they're talking to main street operators, maybe, you know, a retail shop or a bakery, and and or just small business in general. Something like a entree leadership, you know, where they're talking about different businesses operating. But I was like, who's doing that in oil and gas? And and um, like you I had some creative itches to scratch in, in another life. I studied filmmaking uh, at I OU.
0: And, um, oh, I'm jealous, man. I would have, I've really gotten into the film stuff and I really enjoy it, but I wish I would have had it more. Uh, it's just, it's so much fun.
1: It is. It's cool. Um, the thing there, I think what was really good was just, um, being opened up to har- harsh constructive criticism because what you got out of the program was what you put into it. Like no one was like, you know, they gave you access to equipment and, Then you were required to complete projects. There wasn't necessarily like a focus on, yeah, what was great was just the criticism. Like, because we would, you would do a project and then everyone in the room, you'd have to show it, no comments, and everyone in the room would tear it apart, you know, so you're in with 20, 30 film nerds and they just rip you to pieces. Yeah, it's like being on Twitter. (laughs) It's like being on Twitter, except in real life. Um, so that was good. And it just really kind of made you have to think outside the box about what you were doing and how your perceptions of what you were making and then how that translated to what people actually saw. Um, so yeah, I don't know why this isn't popping back in on the video, but, um, so yeah. Um, so with the podcast, yeah, we thought a lot of those same things like you mentioned, network effect, meeting other people, and then just having conversations with, you know, some of our own, um, contractors or connections and just getting those conversations out there in the public square so that people can see, you know, you know, you might think of, uh, the energy industry as Exxon mobiles or even like a Chesapeake, you know, um, public stock tickers and that's not what we are you know we work with small uh family companies we work with individual high net worth individuals we work with uh people that own their own businesses in construction in real estate in uh you know doctors with their own practice lawyers with their own practices um and we offer direct exposure to energy investment you know um and so that's just not what most people hear or understand about the industry. And so that was our idea that this could be something, like you said, where we learn more, where we meet other people and have conversations, but also we kind of provide an inside view at like a a small niche of the, uh, of the oil and gas industry that, that most people don't think of. So that was kind of our thinking there.
0: I mean, like you Um, guys are like the good guys, you know, it's like when you think about, when like the average public thinks about oil and gas, it's like you said, Exxon and Shell and BP and these huge companies and like, especially people that are international, which I've had a chance to talk to a number of people across the pond and, uh, in different countries. And when you talk to them about Oklahoma and how like, it's a bunch of like family owned businesses that are, you know, driving the industry here. I mean, yes, of course there's the Devons and the, you know, bigger companies, Continental and whoever, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it's just like local people, you know, people that own these wells and that produce this commodity that everybody uses every day. And that's not what people think of. They think of big oil, whereas, you know, a lot of it is whatever, there's a huge wedge of the American production or the U S production that is small operators and the U S is the largest producer in the world. So that's a huge piece of it that I don't think a lot of people view. And then the other thing is like, the moralization of energy use that I feel like has been really interesting with the podcast. And it's like, everybody, there's this weird thing. And like one of the first episodes I did was with Alex Epstein and he was, uh, he was like very gracious to come on. Um, cause I didn't have hardly any episodes and I just like hit him up and he, and he agreed. Right. And I asked him about like, how do you, you know, he's a philosopher and I was like, how does this work? Right. Where people can use this stuff every single day, um, voraciously, like you can't get enough. Like, I mean, all these environmentalist people, they're on planes, they're doing all the stuff that they want to do. They have iPhones, like they don't care. Yeah. Yet they can get the virtue of not saying that it's evil, saying that it's bad, saying it's causing all those things yet they can use it all the time. And he was like, that's a really great question. And he's like, it's one of the most, it's like a paradox, right? It's like, everybody can use this all the time and then hate it. So, right. There's just such a, that's such a weird phenomenon. Like you don't see that a lot in other industries, right? It's like, People hate the cigarette industry and they don't smoke. Um, Yet they'll compare like oil and gas to cigarettes. Like I had people crazies in my DMs, dude. I get people sending me just insane things. Um, Wow. Yeah. yeah. Talk about, that was one of the negatives I really get into. There's some, you never know who's on the other side of the screen. Um, Right. And uh, I've, you know, didn't used to set my alarm in my house and like have a gun. And I do now because (laughs) I uh, just did some of the crazy stuff that people have sent me. And like, but. Right. I uh yeah, I mean like there's just this perception that like everybody hates it, but they still use it all the time. And that's really odd. Right. And so I think like having these conversations where it like humanizes the people that are doing it. And even like Elon Musk, who is a more complex character, I used to just like not like him because of the Tesla thing. And I just thought it was like just never believed in Tesla really. I still don't. I think that right. company is way overvalued. But Definitely. now with all the Twitter stuff, I'm kind of like he, he's an interesting guy. But one of the things that he said was that like maybe we should i think it was on rogan he was like maybe we should stop like demonizing these people he's like the people that like you know create all this stuff for us that like make our lives possible he's like maybe it's like not such a good idea to like hate them you know i was like that's a really good
1: you know it definitely is and the other side of that is you know it's getting really really hard right now uh engaging with the service industry with contractors who are working in the field because you know, you've got a whole generation that's been told oil and gas is evil. And, you know, so what's going on is there's just, it's hard work. It's really hard work to work on a rig. Um, And that's one of the great things, you know, seeing uh, uh, Colin and Jake and some of the digital wildcatter stuff they're doing with, with stories and TikTok and stuff. Now explaining some of that to people is great, but it's really hard work. But then you've been told your whole life by, public education system that it's immoral and wrong. Um, And then the people who do go into it, well, they've got to work long hours, hard hours, and to get them out there to work. I mean, now you've got to have a pricing incentive to pay these people what it's worth. Well, it's worth a lot because it's the energy to, to, to power the world. And if you don't get people out there to work on these things and develop new sources of that energy, well, what's going to happen? So it's, I mean, that's where we're, where we're getting at. And so it's, I mean, our, our man chain, pu- a, a rod part, uh, changing a downhole pump. I mean, these yeah. things that used to cost, I mean, under five grand, I mean, you're looking at like 15 to 20 grand now, like six X to 10 X, you know, on, on, on maintenance in the field. And so all that to say it's a tough industry. Um, and it's tougher when, like you said, you've got these, especially the fact that it's in public institutions uh, uh, being taught to our children that's funded, especially in Oklahoma, Oklahoma runs on on the gross production tax, right? right. Um, that gets into a whole nother subject though of you know, our, our local schools aren't aren't funded locally. They're funded at the federal level. And so we've got, again, misplaced incentives there.
0: Um, yeah, there was like some Netflix thing I was watching, uh, or my kids were watching some cartoon on Netflix, and my wife was like, what are you guys watching? And it was just some like seemingly normal cartoon, yet like the villain in the cartoon was like the CEO of some oil company, right? And like, the oh whole gosh. thing was like this like evil CEO of an oil company who's like trying to like destroy the world or whatever, and my wife was like, turn this off. She's like, you know, That's so ridiculous. it's like- yeah, I mean, it's pervasive. Like, it's just this demonization of uh, the industry. And um, anyways, it's a whole thing At you all get levels. into. At all levels. Yeah. I mean, and kids are getting shown. I mean, there's some really cool books that like OREB, I think, has done um, that show like, you know, oil field workers is like there's one where he's, they're like the hero. And it shows all the stuff that they do and how they make everything possible. And like, we'll get those books for the kids and try to educate them on it. Because you just know that like when they get older, they're just going to be completely inundated with all this stuff that's just negative about the industry. Yeah. And it's kind of sad.
1: Yeah. Well, Max, this has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and, and we got to do this again and, and, uh, maybe offline too, even for sure. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So where do we send people? And, and sorry, I hate that the technical difficulties happened here at the end, but Uh, it doesn't. it is what people are
0: tuning to listen and it didn't happen to the last five, 10 minutes anyways. But, um, yeah, just you can like on Twitter, uh, max underscore gagliardi. Uh, the podcast is on all the apps. It's talk energy. Um, YouTube is a big one. You can follow there. I'm on LinkedIn. And, uh, if you want to follow like the, uh, real estate stuff, it's on Instagram. It's probably the best place like mountain fork resort. And then we're going to have a bunch of cabins soon that we're going to get some pictures posted of. That'll be on instagram as well and then the distillery is woodworks distillery in oklahoma city uh it's not available out of state yet but here in town you can stop by the distillery it's on britain in the old Ritz theater building and you can pick up uh some bottles or they have it at some of the liquor stores too if you go on their instagram it shows you which liquor stores it's available at but those are the best places to follow what i'm what i'm doing and um adam just thanks man for uh for making this happen. And I'm glad we got to do it. I'd love for you to come by and, uh, come by the studio. Maybe we'll do one over here.
1: Yeah, no, I'd be game for sure. And, and, and thanks for coming on. And yeah, I appreciate, like I said, when we were early on thinking about spinning this thing up, you were, uh, taking my messages and giving me some advice. So I appreciate that and excited to connect on here and do a podcast. So, uh, until the next time, uh, thanks again, Max, and see you soon. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to or share with someone you think might enjoy this content. Thanks a lot for listening to Energy Builders.